Hello and welcome to Eve Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, it's, uh, it's our anniversary. Oh, it is! Yes. <laughs> our first, our first I've forgotten. Our first podcast came out about this time last year, I think. So, so happy birthday. Yes, kind of. Your mom's just told me how rubbish she thinks we are and how we were completely <laughs> wrong about Mamma Mia and how you know nothing about Cher and how all her girlfriends said so. So, right. <laughs> so well, uh, what know. an achievement on our first year. <laughs> uh, but that aside, uh, we have seen what is a birthday present for me, Dial Them for Murder in 3D. Uh-huh. And the reason it's a present for me is because uh, nearly a decade ago, when I was doing my dissertation at uni, I did it on 3D movies. Ah, right. Um, I took a massive interest in them, and 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 I and basically ever since then, I've kind of, I've defended them above and beyond the call of duty, um, quite a few times. Well, we need a lot have, of defending. So when other people have, have, have sort of decried them, it was around the time Avatar was coming out, and so they were about to really kick up again, in in cinemas worldwide, and that's when it, it that's when they kind of stuck. Really, was when Avatar came back. Um, but um, Dying for Murder is this classic. Sort of well, like, like when people think of the nineteen fifties three D craze, they think of Buana Devil, which kind of started off, which is about like man eating lions. They think of Creature from the Black Lagoon. They think of um, House of Wax. House of Wax, yeah, which is the same year as this. I think it came from out of space. It, I mean, films like that, films which are spectacle and nutty. There's a mm. film called The Maze, which is just insane, which is about like a frog prince. I've right. seen bits of it. Um, but Dylan for Murder is the one where people go, "This was artistic." You know, and this proved that 3D can be an artistic tool and expressive. And, um, and obviously it was in the hands of a master, Alfred Hitchcock, where everyone knows. Mm. Um, and I'd never seen it in 3D. Um, I didn't get the is chance. Is this your first then. time seeing it in 3D today? This is my first time seeing it in 3D, and it's my first time seeing it in about 15 years. And actually, ah. actually, um, I, weirdly, I was surprised that it was in colour. And I think, ah. I think the reason for that is that the only thing I remember about Dylan for Murder in any detail hmm. is the photo that he shows with Alfred Hitchcock in the corner. Uh-huh. And that's a black and white photo. And I think I just kind of took that and went, well, the whole film's black and white. Which, of course, ah. it's not. It's in colour. Okay. Um, I want to read you something that I... So I think, first of all, I must say that for some reason, my 3D glasses weren't working today. Uh, so I, I normally don't have any problems with it. Yeah, I used to put on contacts when I went to see 3D movies, but then at Cineworld, it's been so great recently, I haven't had any need for it. And today, for some reason, my glasses weren't working. Mm, you seem to have had a duff pair that just yeah. had the same lens, and so they showed you 2D rather than 3D. That's right, and I was too polite to, to, to do anything about it. Uh, however, when I saw it last year, because the, the electrics... Uh, uh, showed it last year. And I just want to kind of read you what I wrote because then I'd like you to comment on it. So so my view was that the use of 3D was and remains exceptional. That the whole film is about the control of space, control over how things are placed in that living room and the fear and terror and misplacement of things within that space incurs as things being out of place could and do lead to death. So um, Grace Kelly is able to save herself because her scissors aren't where they're supposed to be. And of course, the keys, the key to the crime, the whole resolution to the mystery, relies on first finding out where they are, then where they're supposed to be, and then realigning where they're supposed to have been in the light of whose they were. 
So it's all about the the placement of things in space, just like in a three D movie. Uh, and I found it to be a a, a, next, uh, a fascinating exercise. Um, so what what did you think of the three D? Well, I think that's a, a a really reasonable kind of um, way of thinking about it. And I think generally that that is the case. You're right. It is it is about the placement of things and the control of space. And what I like about the 3D generally is that the, the film is almost a chamber play. There's really, you see basically everything inside this apartment. Um, there's only a couple of like establishing shots of other things. Yes. Um, and it, the use of 3D makes it a really kind of real solid place where you actually feel the space. And I think, and what brought that home to me is there's a, there's a scene quite late on in the film where it's the inspector and Tony talking to each other. And I realised this is almost 2D. And, and actually, I lifted my glasses up and I saw that the there's very little stereo separation going on there. So that basically, what you're watching there is pretty much 2D. Mm. And I and it was only because it occurred to me that this looks shit yeah. <laughs> compared to the rest of the film, which which is, generally speaking, not hugely expressive in its use of 3D, but is just creating a, a really solid space yeah. it's like a play right yeah. it's like you, you, the way that the way the space is being used is kind of combining elements of cinema and elements of theater really to create this 3d space so so when things are are placed in layers early on in the film and you just, and you get tables and you get bottles and things that are very close to the camera and and the the the, the space is emphasized the depth is emph- is emphasized doing that mm. and and um it makes everything feel sort of like I say, more, 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 more solid. It's, like, it's not like the film's ever been rubbish in two D. I mean, I've seen it in two D, and obviously it's great. But um, I don't think it's great. What the film? Yeah, I think it's really good. I don't. Um, I I think it's kind of one of one of Hitchcock's minor works. Actually, it's all set in one room. It's really talky. Mm. Um, I think it was a radio play first, and then it was a play. I think. Uh, and you can tell its origins, really. So it's like a chamber piece, you know, and kind of, and what he does with it is kind of, you know, very, very interesting. But I, th- I actually think that paradoxically, the most interesting thing about the film for me is the use of 3D. I mean, I think, I, I think as a, um, as a crime film, I think it's really, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, wouldn't necessarily go out of a way to say it's, it's hugely interesting, but it's really gripping. It works. Um, you know, it works, yeah. and I want to know sort of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm invested in who's got the keys and where they are and the twists about where they've come from and so on and so forth. Yes. That's already interesting. It's very um, clever, and, and I think it's entertaining, um, but it's not dazzling like some of uh, you no, know, Hitchcock's no. other work. I mean, it, it is a minor Hitchcock With that said, really. though, the murder scene is fantastic. And it's partly because of how it's been built up. You've built it up with this entire thing of Tony and the murderer character. I forget his name. Um, Tony who's blackmailing him into mm. doing it. Because he explains in great detail, you'll do this, then you'll do this, then you'll do this. And this is exactly how the scene will go. And it's shot from that top-down camera angle that shows it like a blueprint. Yes. You know, um, Because you know exactly how it's supposed to go, the tension is raised. Because there's a combination of that with... Um, the writer character Mark, mm. who talks about he's a murder mystery writer, crime writer, and he writes about how you know in theory you can have the perfect murder, but of course something always goes wrong. Yes. So you've got the two things playing off each other. This is the perfect murder. Something's going to go wrong, and of course it does. Mm. The tension in that scene is fantastic. When you see what's going to happen, how long it's going to take. When she's on the phone, 
you know, and, and he stood behind her and he doesn't go for it right away. He's got, he's got the, the sort of scarf in his hand. Yeah, it's very funny. And he doesn't go with it right away, but, but it's funny because he, he, he's, he's, he's hesitating. But also, you know, the tension is building up. Is he going to yeah. do it? And when's he going to do it? Yes. And of course he does. And then that hand coming out towards the camera... And yeah. the 3D is very clearly being used to emphasise it. It doesn't quite come out of the screen, but it is emphasised compared to everything else, yes. that that's coming towards you. Mm. And the music coming in at the same time. It's, 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 uh, I mean, what can you say? It's just fucking fantastic. It hits you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very clever. And it's got that typical thing of being both suspenseful and also being comic. Yeah, that kind of, you know, horror is looked at, you know, from... You know, humorous perspective. Yeah, like you know, he tries to put the the the, the stocking over her, and then she's she's got her hand on the phone, so she tries again, and it is played for laughs, mm. even as you know, yes, the suspense is rising. So all of that is very good. Um, I I don't think it's as visually dazzling as uh, as Hitchcock's other films. Uh, so it's kind of it is very carefully laid out, and of course, you know, the use of of three D is I think. Kind of a phenomenal use of it because it's used very cleverly. I mean, that example that you gave of you know a hand reaching out towards the cinema, that's almost like a stereotypical use of three D. Yeah, things mm. kind of it's emerging from the screen. emerging from the screen. Whereas I think what he does is is more clever. So you know, uh, if I remember correctly, there's also that Chinese statue, right, uh, and the vase and the phone that are, are often are used stereotypically. So they also kind of demarcate the space in which mm. the action is going to take place, right? Yeah. You know, so it's kind of, you know, uh, he's playing just kind of with objects in the mise-en-scene as a place where kind of murder and deceit and so on can take place. And I thought that was, like, really clever. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I'd, I'd say that's not really so much a 3D as, as, as blocking and design. I mean, that's the, the idea that this, the, you're going to spend your entire time in this space, so the space has got to be interesting. And... Um, and the way that objects are, are important, so the phone is important, that's used yes. all the time, and the scissors are important, and the stockings and various in the handbag. And you you kind of it, it's like you picture the space in your head by using these markers. Yes. Where these things are is important. You know that the bag is here and the phone's over here, and the character's here and he wants to get to the bag and she's over there, and is he gonna be able to get to it without her seeing and so on and so forth? That's already important. That's not so much 3D. I, I, I thought, that, but weren't those things in 3D? Because I thought the statue at moments was in 3D. Well, I mean, everything's shot in 3D. The but, whole film is shot in 3D. Okay, so it stood out. I mean, I'm, I'm asking because I didn't see it in 3D. Oh, well, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, so, I don't know if they kind of stood out exactly. It's just that the whole film is... Um, I th- I, the, the moments that stand out in 3D um, are, are those moments where... where like, the moments where depth is emphasised... Are the moment with the hand, um, the moments where the key is shown coming from underneath the carpet yeah. in the stair. You know these things. It's it's like it's like the use of a close up. You know when you cut to a close up in a film, like showing you something important. Mm. That's kind of the way it's used here as well. Mm. But I think the thing that's that's also interesting about the 3D is it kind of doesn't look as interesting nowadays because we've got used to much more subtle 3D. Yes, and I think it's interesting in comparison to other films of the time, because what other films of the time were doing, like House of Wax and like Brian Devil and, and what have you, were really, really conspicuously showing off mm. the 3D and things were coming out of the screen quite a lot. And that was this that was this effect, the emergence effect, is this thing that kind of paradoxically 
sort of makes the image more real by bringing it into your world, mm. but also at the same time destroys itself because you reach out to touch it and of course you can't. Mm. You know, so that's this weird thing, that, and it's always been associated with that as a gimmick, and which is why I say that when. Um, when, when the hand reaches towards the screen in this, I don't think it emerges beyond the bounds of the screen. It's just that it's emphasised beyond everything else that's much more deep into the screen, mm. if you see what I mean. Um, and that's slightly unusual for the time, and that is much more um, reminiscent of the way that 3D is used today, where people have really got over mm. the, 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 the emergence effect. Um, what films have, have started to do in more modern times is they will open up with something that emerges towards the screen or something that is very conspicuously emphasising depth. Like in Avatar, you get these bubbles at the start that are suspended Actually, every time we see a 3D movie now and you put on the glasses at Cineworld, the credits emphasise... Yeah, sure. Um, But you'll get get like a certain shot that does it. So in Avatar, for instance, there's these bubbles that are are suspended in space Mm. and they do it. And there's also that that, that golf ball shot where... he hits the golf ball and it comes towards the camera. Mm. Um, And there are these... So you get these shots where it's like... It's like getting it out of your system. It's a little bit like Hitchcock always used to do with his cameos, doing them early in the film mm. to get it out of the way. So like you do that with the 3D shots, you do it with the cameo, and then that's out of the way, and you can get on with doing something just that you're much, much more natural, mm. that you're much happier with, which is what 3D tends to do these days, um, which is a lot better. I mean, you, you, 3D's been used to create these really rich, sort of beautiful worlds that aren't always massively expressive, like I say, I think there's, I think there's, there's a general kind of value to the use of three D in Dialing for Murder, but I don't think it's not like the film's unwatchable without mm. it. But it is, it is of interest because of the way it's used, particularly <clears throat> compared to other films of its time. Hmm. I think um, one of my complaints about the film is just how bad I find the cast to be, right? Like, <laughs> you know, so I think, uh, I mean, Grace Kelly's so beautiful. And she wears clothes beautifully, you know, and she's very charismatic. But, you know, I think she's very bad, really. Um, and Robert Cummings, who plays, you know, the boyfriend whom she's having an adulterous affair with, mm. is, I mean, in some ways also he's very appealing, but also he's very bad. Like, yeah, he's mm. kind of so one-dimensional in everything. Um, and actually, it's very, what drew my attention this time was the detective who's played by... John Williams. John Williams. Who's fantastic. Who's fantastic, right? So in a way, you know, arguably he's got, like, the least part of all of them, you know, but a flick of the moustache or a line reading or something, you know, kind of creates all of these effects. You either laugh or you, you pay attention or... Yeah, it kind of it, it creates a, a feeling and, and, and an effect in the audience, right? Mm. That none of the main stars are really able to create just, you know, with the reading of a line... Or, you know, the doing a bit of a bit of shtick or a gesture, yeah? Mm. It is kind of like the difference between, like, you know, the amateurs and the professionals, really. Uh, and, and Robert Cummings and Grace Kelly are complete amateurs in comparison to, to him. And actually, and I also think that Ray Milland, who, um, you know, is quite serviceable, is also not, to me, not very good, really. Yeah, I agree. I, he's, he's the other one, along with John Williams, who's capable... Through his character, I think of getting laughs because um, Grace Kelly and Robert Cummings' characters are kind of deeply invested in it. They're in love with each other, yeah, um, and and they're the ones who are kind of on the receiving end of of um, the plot. Uh, and uh, particularly Grace Kelly, in particular, you know, she, I mean, um, she 
there's no room in her character for, for sort of sarcasm or anything. But you got but you got Ray Milan's character Tony, who is the one who is, is in charge of this plot, and so he kind of has this overview, and so he gets laughs when things aren't quite going his way, or when he has to improvise and things. Yeah. He gets laughs out of um, making stuff up, or yeah. something actually being quite bold. For instance, when when he's confronted with the the case full of money, mm. um, and he. Uh, has to explain this to the detective and you think he's done for and the way he explains it is he 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 explains um it, it's mark who said why don't we tell the detective this and actually what he's been saying is let's tell the detective the real story mm. although he hasn't realized that's the real story and so when uh tony starts explaining this he does it with this incredibly smug sort of casual throwaway oh and then we were going to say that, that I did this and I did that mm. and that, that was right wasn't it Mark mm. so he, he gets laughs out of that and then of course the inspector um, gets laughs out of a certain level of sarcasm and smugness and having seen it all and there's that there's a really funny line about walking down the street with a handbag you clot yes. you'll, you'll get, get arrested, arrested. which but is a, a, a one of those one of those reminders of how things have things changed. Have changed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so those two, I think, are uh, Raymond does have his problems. I think that sometimes when he's delivering long bits of dialogue, particularly in that scene with the the guy who his ex school friend who's supposed to be um, who he's hiring to kill his wife, um, there are long stretches of that where he has got like a page of dialogue and yeah. he loses you. I think, yeah, but I think but in does. combination with other actors, I think he's quite good. Yes, well, I think he's serviceable. I also think that you know, like Grace Kelly's given lots of opportunities. Mm. You know, she's meant to be terrorized. She's meant to be like glamorous. She's meant to be bedaffled. You know, she's she's meant to be fl- flirty. And, you know, she's given a lot of opportunities to do a lot of different things, and she fails at pretty much yeah, all of them. Quite, <laughs> yeah, she's quite <laughs> blank, isn't she? <laughs> so. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, the, those roles are possibility. You know, do have possibilities with kind of better actors in them. So you know, I think kind of you know, to me, the film is an exercise, um, and it kind of it it ranks very low in my list of like favorite Hitchcock films, really. Sure, I, I, it would rank higher on mine just because I, I I saw it. I think it's always the case when you saw something when you were a kid, mm. you're gonna like it more. Um, which is the case with me, and I do appreciate its flaws, but I I still think I I, I like the sort of I like the methodical nature of it, yes. the way it talks through what it's doing, yes. um, the, the way you know, things are things are built very very slowly in it, and so you get to this murder, and then the way things develop after it, yes. you kind of think at some point even when when Mark is um, saying to Tony, I've worked out a way that this murder could have been done, which is unbeknownst to him the way it was actually supposed to happen um you kind of think you think maybe tony is going to start killing him you think he's going to kill him to protect it because always oh, he's, he's got to me you know you should, he, that's what i thought anyway it's a long time since i've seen it yeah. <laughs> i didn't remember the end and then actually when it gets to the end i really like that i like how english the end is it just sort of says well you got me japs drink yeah. Yes, yes, which is lovely. Like that wouldn't happen in American cinema. But this is an American. Well, well it's film, an American though. film. It's, uh, <laughs> wouldn't happen in, so, in an American uh, story, rather. Uh, you know. Yeah. You know, well, well, fuck you, and he'd start shooting. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of you know the, that response of yours is interesting. Uh, I mean, he's a tennis course, player. It's a very much like if you get beaten in tennis, you still have to shake your opponent's hand and shake the umpire, and that's exactly what he does at the end. Yeah. He says, "You got me, boys." I have, I, I, uh, <laughs> I have problems with that whole characterization because. You know, uh, Ray Milland is meant to be like, you know, an, an ex-tennis player, kind of somebody athletic and horny and, 
you know, kind of ambitious and rather sleazy and, you know, yeah, he's kind of, after all, killing his wife for money. Mm. And he doesn't convey any of that, you know. So, um... He's killing for revenge, isn't he, really? Or is it both for going off with the guy? Well, my understanding is, you know, his wife is now having a love affair with somebody else. Uh, she might leave him. And if she leaves him, she leaves with her money. There's no, like, women paying alimony in 1954 yeah. so to their husbands. So, <laughs> so it's, it's the both, I think. And his high earning years, he tells us, are over, mm. right? Yeah. So, you know, he's an old... Yeah, he's yeah, an oh, yeah no, it's the, point, the point is certainly made... That he doesn't have money anymore. That's right. Um, um, so, so I don't know. And then you think, well, what is the film about, really? And you know, kind of, you know, what are his themes and how are they worked out? And really, I think in a way, this is kind of what people used to criticize Hitchcock for, because you know, kind of, you know, what it is is an exercise in getting some effects from the audience, which can seem like quite mechanical, you know, and that goes from both being scared to just, you know, incurring a few laughs here. And, you know, there is a, I think what, you know, what you said is to me what's best about it is, you know, that the film is like, it is methodical. It is like a clock. Mm. Everything works and everything is in its place, right? And you see the mechanisms. And actually there's a respect for the audience in doing that. Yeah, yeah that, I agree. Um, That's a really good point. You know, there's kind of like a care and a professionalism in the building of this mechanism. Yeah, yeah. and actually films that are this dialogue heavy have the capability of being extremely boring yes. and losing you. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's the case with this. Even though, even though, like I said, there are parts, particularly with Raymond Land, where he doesn't get his monologues quite... You know, he doesn't, doesn't, doesn't deliver them as well as he could. Yes. Um, nonetheless, like... The way that scenes develop, the way that scene develops between him and the and the the, the purported murderer, um, and the way that scenes develop later on, where they're having to he's having to improvise and people are trying to work things out and so on and so forth, is all really interesting. And the time that it takes to go through to ask all these questions and to deliver all these all these uh, scenes of dialogue, I think they're all really really good. Basically, mm. I'm interested in every part of the film. You know, yes, it's not a part that, that loses me. Um, Apart from maybe right at the start where they're going on and on about how much the two characters are in love, Mark and, and Grace Kelly. Yes. But then that doesn't last too long because you get into the stuff about the letter and the blackmail. So. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a slight work. Though, you know, kind of, let's turn around. It was great fun to watch. Mm. You know, um, the audience. I mean, I had fake, well, fake... I had glasses that didn't work. So actually, today, I couldn't even see the 3D. So I was really watching it as a 2D film. Um, but, you know, kind of the audience was with it all the way. You know, kind of people laughed at all the right places. Kind of people were excited at all the right places. And it's quite amazing for a film that's now, what, like almost 70 years old. What, it's 19, 1954. So 53 to, to, it's what? 65. 65 years, right? Um, yeah. And that still works, you know, like like clockwork, right? In yeah. terms of kind of, you know, eliciting audience reaction. So, you know, I think it's kind of no mean feat, really. Yeah, and I I think it's it's a subtle thing, but but I don't think anyone in the film. Well, I mean, you can't tell exactly, but it didn't feel like anyone who was there was watching it like ironically or watching it with a distance or watching it as a historical artifact. Like you're okay, you're watching it in three D because that's the kind of the, the slightly novel thing about it and that's what makes it beyond other Hitchcock films unique 
Um, but everyone there was watching it because they were watching a good movie. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, I think everyone was enjoying it as a good film. The reason to go to the cinema to watch it is, of course, the 3D, because, you know, that's... that's that's yeah. You're not going to get that off your normal DVD, are you? I believe there is a 3D Blu-ray. Well, I'm sure, but who has 3D players? Well, exactly. No, I mean, I agree with that. But um, um, but it's like, when a film like this comes around, you know, you make the effort to go and see to it. To go and see it, yeah. But, and, it was, um, and it was very well... But like I say, it's not... But it's not... You're not going there like a university student going, I will sit here and make notes. You're watching a good movie. That's yeah, yeah, you're involved with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yes, I'm I glad I've too. seen it in 3D at last. Well... And realised that, you know, it wasn't in black and white, which for some reason has just completely passed me by for so many years. Oh, really? Maybe I had watched it in black and white before as well. Maybe it had been like on late at night on BBC or something. Who knows? But for some reason, I just remembered it being black and white. Oh, that's interesting, because I presume that you grew up with colour television anyway. Of course I did, yeah. Yes. But, um, but also, I mean, to be fair, I've also, I'd also completely forgotten the ending, because when it got to that scene with him and Mark, I really thought, oh, maybe he's going to kill Mark, and that's how the film developed. Oh, right. So I'd really forgotten a lot of it. Right, right, right. I sometimes think that films uh, are in black and white when they're in colour because as a child I saw them on a black and white TV mm. and somehow that really stays with you, you know. Yeah. So then you're like, you know, shocked that you see them in colour, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, 50 years later. Um, okay, I don't have much to add to this really. Uh, no, nor do I. Um, um, you know, it, it, it is, it's a slight film, I suppose, that's fair enough to say, it makes it a slight podcast. I'm really glad that we saw it. And I'm an auteurist, though, you know, in the sense that I also think that, you know, Minor Hitchcock is still miles better than everybody else, <laughs> right? All his films have, even his worst films, have things that are just absolutely dazzling about them, you know? And I think kind of this is no exception. Yeah. See it if you good. can. <laughs> yeah, well, when it comes around, do see it. You know, it's been, it's been coming on for 10 years since I've wanted to see it, and I finally have. Yeah. So, alright uh, well thank you very much for listening uh, we love hearing from you even if like Mike's mom you think we're rubbish uh, so kind of do let us know, you know she didn't think in we're which rubbish. ways we, she, you she, think we're rubbish she didn't think we're rubbish she just thought we were wrong there's a difference uh, uh, yes so yes the podcast was rubbish and we were wrong about Mamma Mia uh, and particularly about Cher so uh, do let us know uh, we are eavesdroppingatthemovies.com uh, and you can also catch us on iTunes, uh, Sound, SoundCloud, Facebook and Twitter. And YouTube. And YouTube. YouTube, of course. Um, and uh, since it's our birthday, uh, I thought I might ask you for a birthday present. Not you, Jose, but the listener. I'm ah. talking to you now, listener. Ah. I'm not going to ask you for money or anything, although I would obviously love that and it would always go appreciated. But um, if there's a podcast of ours that you particularly liked or thought would, would be interesting to other people, um, I'd like to ask you to share it on Facebook or Twitter or with your friends or something like that. Um, just because, you know, we, we want people to listen. Yes. Actually, <laughs> what, yeah, kind of. Um, I think that would be nice. Yes, that would be lovely. Um, yeah, and actually, kind of, do please, you know, kind of, uh, we are getting very, aside from uh, Mike's mom, we are also getting <laughs> a lot of positive feedback. But in a way, kind of the best feedback you can offer us really is just like a retweet or a repost or, you know, just kind of um, uh, uh, getting other people to, to, to listen would be lovely. Yeah, we really appreciate it when, when people do. And we, we, love, we love all our listeners. <laughs> oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good night. Bye-bye. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's really begging. <laughs>